I know there's some in our church here that like to go camping. And uh, you've done it for years. And uh, now some of you are taking your grandchildren and going camping. Some will never go camping. That's my wife. Her idea is camping is the Holiday Inn, but uh, <laughs> but if that's her idea of camping, we'll enjoy it. <laughs> but you know, when you go on these things, you always got to sit down with the kids or the grandkids, and and uh, you got to warn them of some potential hazards. You don't swim alone. You don't get too close to the campfire. There's certain things you don't throw into the campfire. Um, you don't talk to strangers. Uh, you be careful with your knives, or if they're young enough, you don't carry a knife. You know, you know how the list goes. We and the, and the kids are sitting there, and this is supposed to be fun, you know. But why do we do that? There is great fun, but there's also great hazards that can spoil the fun. In fact, uh, Gary Smalley, in one of his training on marriage, if you want to build a strong relationship, just go camping. <laughs> the camping builds relationships. So is there something magical in the camping? No, it's what happens when you go camping. There's always problems that go on, and, and through the tri those trials, you come together as a family or as a group. And he gives several examples how uh, one kid jumped off a rock and into the river and fought a sharp stone and gashed his foot. They weren't there 10 minutes. They're back like four hours back in there, and there's no way to get him out. They figure he's going to bleed to death, and they're all praying what God would do, and here comes some boys on a canoe boat. <laughs> and they're going the same direction that kid knows to go. So they load him up there, you know. And But everybody now is, doesn't want to camp, so everybody packs up their bags, and they go home. And But he said all those things bring great, great uh, closeness. But the, the point of this whole thing is that everything we can do has to be within certain boundaries. That's one reason God gave us this book. This book is not a set of rules, and that's the way the world looks at this book. As a set of rules, all they see is what we can't do. And that's why they don't want to be a Christian. Well, I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I've had some say, what in the world do you Christians do for fun? Have you ever heard that? In fact, one shared that with me one time, just a few days before we were going to have a church picnic. I said, I'm going to give you a proposition. I said, I want you to come to our church picnic. You come as my guest, don't bring in food, you just bring yourself and your appetite. If at the end of that picnic you think we as Christians are dull and boring and don't have any fun, I'll never visit you again and never talk to you about the Lord again. He said, that sounds like a good deal. So he did come. This is when we were in Huttonsville. And you know how our picnics go. We always have a great time. Lots of food, lots of fellowship. We laid horseshoes and games and just had a great time. And when he left, he said, you're absolutely right. You Christians can have good, clean fun. And then he said this, and you don't have to worry about waking up tomorrow morning wondering where you've been, who you've been with, and throwing up from a hangover. Now that's still the last time you ever came to church that I know of, but nevertheless, we need the boundaries and God gives them to us. Same thing is with our worship, as we'll see here this morning. Not all worship is accepted from God. Just because we enter the building, a building and we have some music and we have some people and we do some things that look like worship does not mean that God's going to accept it. And so as we look at music, which we've enjoyed this morning, some great music, and especially uh, Anne's song this morning, just a great blessing. God has designed us to love music because where does music come from? We'll look at it in a little bit. It comes from God. But let's look at a couple of passages before we get into the meat of this. In 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15. The king of Israel, Saul, believes he's going to worship. But we want to see what God's response was to that. Saul had set up some worship in verses 22 and 22. Actually, what happened here is they defeated the enemy, but God told them specifically, and believe it or not, this is a form of worship too. God told them to go into this nation and wipe it off the face of the earth. Men, women, children, and their livestock. 
But Saul goes in there and he wipes out the men, women, and children. But he said, you know, we've been offering our own bulls and our own sheep and our own goats and stuff around the altar. He said, why can't we use these and save ours? But God told him to go in there and wipe it out. And to obey would have been an act of worship, even in battle. But Saul said, let's take the sheep and the cattle and bring them back here and we'll sacrifice them. And they did so. And we find in, in uh, verse 22 of that chapter. So Samuel said, what has the Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul thought he was doing a great thing, but it's not what God asked him to do. So God does have some parameters, some boundaries that we must keep in mind when we worship him. And I believe these same principles can apply to our music. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1, 10 through 15. And then we'll go to the other end of the book, verse chapter 66 in a moment. Isaiah 1, 10 through 15, Isaiah says this. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. For what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the, says the Lord. <clears throat> I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the bulls of law, uh, or in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. And your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Now what's taking place here? They were sacrificing on the altar as he got expected, expected them to do. But their heart was not right. They believed by sacrifices, God was smiling at me. That God was looking at the heart. They were just going through the motions of religion without doing it with the right motive behind it. And God said, I'm sick of your blood. See, God was not, God is not awed by the fact that they would sacrifice a bull or a goat or a sheep on the altar. He was looking for the motive behind it. And that's what he was concerned about in Isaiah 66. Three and four. He who kills a bull is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. Just as they had chosen their own ways. Notice, just as they had chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that which I did not delight. Their whole worship system was corrupted. And God was not honoring it. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, we're not going to turn there. But that, that verse challenges that we need to learn from our mistakes. Why does God record so many mistakes in the Bible here? So we can learn from them. I remember my dad raising me up. He said, son, he said, I'm going to try to save you some pain and agony here. And so listen to what I'm about to say. I've made some mistakes in my life. Why make the same mistake I did? I can tell you where it's going to take you. And that made sense to me. Why do I not make the same mistake others have done? So God made recorded them here so we can learn from other people's mistakes. But you know what we do? I can get away with it. 
Somehow we think we'll get away with it. And yet sin always has the same results. The problem with these individuals, their focus was not on God. Their focus was on a religious thing. And that's what we need to avoid. So we're going to look at five inappropriate ways in which worship was done. And I'm sure in every one of these cases, especially the first one we look at, music was involved in it. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Very early on in history, we all know, we've heard the story. We, I don't say the story. It's history. I don't want you to think it's a fable because it's not. It's history. Cain killed Abel. And again, it was over inappropriate, selfish worship. Cain wanted, did not want to do the blood sacrifices. It was too bloody. My, my forte in life is to grow a garden. And so I want to offer my vegetables. But God did not say that because man needed to realize that in order for his sins to be atoned, blood needed to be spilled. And it was going to be an innocent man that was going to spill that blood. So every time they offered an animal on, sac on the altar, it was a reminder that somewhere in the future, there was going to be a redeemer who's going to spill his blood. That cannot be demonstrated by offering vegetables. Cain and Abel had an argument. And we know the story. Cain killed Abel. And then later, Lamech, in verse 16. Let's read these verses. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city, and called the name of that city after the name of his son Enoch. And Enoch was born Irad, Irad and Irad begat uh, if I don't pronounce these right, forgive me, because I don't know how these things go. Mehu Jalal, and Mehu Jalal begot Methuselah, and Methuselah begot Lamech. Aren't you glad you're not reading this? <laughs> then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name was Ada, the other was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabel. And he was the father of all who dwell in tents and, and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. And he was the father of all who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, the instructor of every craftsman of bronze and iron, the sister of Tubal-Cain and, and Naaman. Now notice, then Lamech said, and that would be better translated than Lamech saying to his wives, Ada and Zillah hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold. But Lamech was singing here. He was bragging that he had killed one. And if we were to go back, we'll look at Cain killed Abel, and God expected him not to be executed as a result of it, but God put a curse on him. He's bragging here, I've killed two. And, he's, and the tone of this is, I'm going to do it again, and, and I will reap 70-fold. So it wasn't so bad for Cain, it won't be so bad for me. He's actually singing a song in regard to that. So the history that's passed down, we can be sure that in every aspect, because music is so important, we'll go look at more of that in detail later, but music comes from God. Let's turn to Zephaniah 3.17. But anything that's good, Satan takes and really messes it up. But we want to see that our, our source of music that we are expected to enjoy from God or comes from God. Zephaniah 3.17 Which says, Lord, your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So singing is not something that came from the angels. It's easy for us to think that because we think angels are up there playing harps. And, and those who go on, they play harps. No, music came from God. In fact, Lucifer, whom we will look at in more detail later, was an angel that was in charge of the music in heaven and uh, was awesome at it. But Satan will take anything and destroy it. We find in Job chapter 38, and that's just for the book of Psalms. Job 38, verse 7. We see that singing is not only coming from God, but it used to come from the angels. And you'll understand why in just a moment. 
Job 38, 7 says, When the morning stars sang together, and this is, that's the angels, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or sang, for, they sang together and shouted for joy. This was after creation. This is the last time in Scripture that we find that the angels sang. I think there's two reasons for that. Sin had now entered the universe. And I also think it might be because the original sin came from one of their own, Lucifer. And so you'll find no other place in Scripture the rest of the book where the angels sang. But we know that Lucifer, that's what he did. And I believe he has a big impact in our music today. And that's what we're looking at in the next several weeks. Music is a powerful window into the heart. By the music that you listen to, you can tell where your head is at. And if your head's not there, it'll follow the music. That's the danger of some of the music in the world today. It does lead and shape the hearts of some of our children if we allow them to listen to it. So our practical application is very early in history, music already was being used in a sinful manner. And Satan knows he can use it to manipulate the thinking in the heart of a man, and he will do so. Look at another one in Leviticus chapter 10 of how it was used improperly. Leviticus chapter 10, 1 through 3. Israel is now getting themselves established as a nation. God has given them very specific instructions on in how they are to worship, which we've already seen under King Saul. He didn't maintain that well. But there were two other men, sons of Aaron, which in verse 1 we read, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he commanded, which he had not commanded them. Now what's incense? Something that smells good, a perfume type thing. And there was a very specific perfume that God designed them to, to make, and he made it perfectly clear. This is the only incense you shall ever use in worship, and you are not to duplicate it so you can use it at home. But these two guys thought, hey, we got a better idea. We got something that smells better. And they made their own. But notice what happened. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. He said, oh, God is really being unfair there, isn't he? All it was was an incense. All it was was a perfume that we could burn in the house and smell good. What's the picture here? What's the guy wanting us to see here? God does not want us to freelance in our worship. There are those that want to freelance and do it their own way. They think they have a better way. And freelance, the bottom line of freelance is myself. I want it my way and not God's way. And Nadab and Abihu, even though it was a small detail, the point is God wants us to pay attention to the details of our worship. Am I staying within the boundaries of the worship and is my heart right behind it? Now, I think we know Anne well enough, but God knows our heart. But what if Anne was getting up here and singing this, look at me. I can hit these high notes, and I can hit these notes, and doesn't it sound great? Now, I know Anne didn't do that. We know Anne well enough to do that. But if that was her attitude up here, would God have accepted that as worship? No, he wouldn't have. What about of us sitting there in the pew? We sang some songs that I just enjoyed this morning about worshiping God. It just caused me to realize, and, and again, on the cross, it just, it's hard for me to imagine what Christ did on the cross for me. And it stirs my heart to see it. But if I'm singing in such a way, look at me, I can hit these notes, and I can sing well, would that be worship? Not at all. I think for some of us, that's why God said, make a joyful noise. Because that's all we're capable of doing, is making a joyful noise. But God doesn't care. What it sounds like, what he cares about, what's coming from the heart. Am I really singing this because I am all of who you are? Nadab and Abihu, they weren't fair, were they? So there are those who might want to freelance in their music. 
And I'm confident today that there are those who sing their music. It's not about worshiping God. It's about how much money they can make at the concert. It's how much money they can make on the record. It's how much money they can make and how big a crowd they can get. If they think that's worship, God is not accepting it. That doesn't mean that those that aren't there who might not be worshiping in that scenario, but humanity is what it is, even among believers. Let's look at another one in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Here's another situation. The ark had been captured by the Philistines and they had had it for some time. And God was punishing Philistines as a result of they were having more problems than they knew to do. And they finally alluded to it. We got this thing that belongs to Israel. We got to give it back to them. David makes his arrangements to get it back. And let's look and see what happens. And again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David rose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is, who is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart. There's the problem. If you're not aware of what the problem is, let me explain. When God said that when the ark was to move, there's only one way it was to be carried. There were two rods that we put on either side of it, and two high priests were to carry it, or at least, I don't know if it was two or four, but they were to carry it themselves on their shoulders. They were to lift it up, place it on their shoulders, and carry it on their own shoulders. They were not to put it on a cart. And this thing was not exactly light, it was covered in gold. But God said, I want you to carry this on your shoulders. What's the picture here? The picture is, I want an intimate relationship with you, and I want you to bear the brunt of your relationship on your shoulders. I want to relate to you, but are you going to relate to me? It is on your shoulders that you're to bear the relationship. But they decided to put it on a new cart. Wouldn't use an old one. We're going to put the cart. So we'll build a new one. But notice what happens. And he brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Iho, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord, all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on cisterns, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Well, that snake's logic, does it? We don't want the ark to fall on the ground, so I'll just reach up and steady it. Look at the next verse. Then the anger Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his heir, and he died there by the ark of God. God, how foolish can you be? All he was trying to do was keep it from falling. That was the point of not putting it on a cart in the first place. Because when we bear the brunt of the relationship of de uh, developing that with him, we won't stumble in that relationship. If we take it upon our responsibility to develop our worship him and do what he tells us to do and when he wants it done and how it's to be done, we won't have that problem. But notice all the music. In verse 5, all kinds of instruments of fur, harps, and string. We're going to look at that more later in this series. And all those instruments are. And in some cases, I mean, there was one case, one time, when they had 4,000 instruments they were playing. Can you imagine that orchestra, Roger? <laughs> 4,000! It was an awesome time of worship. And yet it got shortcutted because they were shortcutting their worship. Yeah, they were indifferent to what God was telling them. David was afraid in verse 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. That's what God wanted to cause. God wanted them to be fearful of him again. They wanted them to step back and say, what have we done wrong? Because when conflict comes into our life, it's meant by God to look back and say, what am I doing wrong, God? And anytime God reestablishes worship with him, we see this happen. Saw with Nadab and Abihu. We saw it here with Uzzah. And when the church began, there was a similar situation, remember? With Ananias and Sapphira. God wanted to make a point. 
There is one way and one way only to worship. And you better make sure your heart was right because Ananias and Sapphira's problem was we're going to look like we're spiritual. We're going to sell this property. And they said, we'll give it all to the church to help meet the needs of the people that don't have anything. They didn't keep that promise. They kept some of it back for themselves. And when Ananias showed up, Peter knew it. Somehow God revealed it to him. And he dropped dead right there. Then his wife came around later to give a little bit more and he said, why have you lied to God? And the men that just carried your husband are coming to the door and they're going to carry you out. And boom, down she went. In these three cases, each time, there was conflict. And it was to refocus the worship to where it needed to be. Ananias and Sapphira had fudged on their worship and turned the worship on themselves instead of towards God. So the principle here is we need to be afraid of God and that afraid is respect. We have to evaluate what was wrong. The worship here was not on God. It was on the, I believe here, the worship was not on God so much as it was on the ark itself. They were focusing their attention on this object that was so special to God and they were looking at that. Does man do that? Sure does. How many people worship their church because it's a beautiful building? How many worship their idols? And maybe not a literal idol that we may bow down to, but how many things that we have in our lives are more important to us than God himself? So the worship was not on God himself at this point. It was on the ark and that it was coming back to them. Because if it was on him, they would have done it right. But we get careless sometimes and we forget. And David, David was reminded by this situation. Uzzah had to lose his life over it. But it didn't just affect David, it affected the whole nation. And that was the point that God was trying to make. <coughs> David corrected the problem properly. And then they cared, and, they, and the worship became more intense. Look at verse 14. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Now why in the world would God put that there? He was just dressed in a linen ephod. Who wore a linen ephod in those days? The servants did. David was the king, but David now was worshiping God as a humble servant. His wife didn't like it too well. She couldn't imagine her husband lowering himself from being a king to a servant and, and she complained about it. And that was the last time he saw his wife because God said, put her away and she's not going to have any kids. And she never did. Why? Because her worship was not on God. But David's worship was on God and he was humble before him. He was not proud to be a king. He was proud to be a humble servant before God. And that's why he could dance with all his might. He saw God now, not the ark, and it humbled him. I, I just can't imagine the enthusiasm and the emotion that must have been involved in that time when they danced before the Lord. That's that's we'd be very uncomfortable if we started dancing around here, wouldn't we? But it was a common thing in that day. We may not dance physically, but we can dance in our heart, can't we? And we should. There are times when we should just be bubbling over with emotion of what God has done for us. And David was doing that. Another one in Malachi chapter 1. The children of Israel, they were half-hearted in their worship. We've looked at some individuals and now we'll look at the nation and these verses. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament before the book of Matthew. Israel struggled with this. Again, it's amazing. God knew all this, and he chose them anyways to be his special people. There was no surprises. But God loved them. He chose them, not because of anything special, but just because of who they were. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? 
And if I am a master, where is my reference? Those are rhetorical questions. It wasn't there. Says the Lord of hosts to my priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice is not evil. And what he's referring to here is they were not using perfect sacrifices. Apparently offered blind sheep or goats or bulls on the altar. And defiled food is because God required a perfect sacrifice to be a picture of what Christ was going to be. Is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept, your, accept you favorably, says the Lord? Now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to you. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire by my altar in vain? Have I no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. He was not going to accept their offering because their heart wasn't right. They were just going through liturgical religious motions, thinking somehow this was going to please God. But we see they did not honor God's name. They offered imperfect animals on the altar. And verse 13 made it clear, all this was considered a burden. Now, I can understand that. I mean, I think you could too. What if this morning, every one of us had to load up a sheep in the back of the trunk, and before you could come into the door, we had to offer it on an altar before you got in here? Every week. Would that be a burden? Yeah, it would. So you can understand maybe why it would be a burden to them. But you've got to remember... What was their occupation? They were shepherds. How many sheep did they have? Well, they probably had 10 born every day. So it wasn't like they were sacrificing anything. It's what they did for a living. But now let's make it a little more practical to us. We don't have to do all that. But how sometimes for us is our attitude about coming to church? Especially on a Saturday when especially nice weather. You know, working all day, you know, mowing grass and putting gardens in and weed whacking and all that. And then you wake up the next morning with a bad back. That's where Steve's at today. <laughs> but he's here. We can all find reasons not to come to church, can't we? Especially in weather like this. I trust our reason for being here today is because I want to worship God. He's my redeemer. He's my provider. He's the one that loves me. He's the one that's provided eternal life for me. I'm here because of that. It's not a burden. Now, will it ever be a burden? Absolutely it will. Because how many of us still have our sin nature? Every hand's got to go up because you do. <laughs> we all have a sin nature. It's still there. And it's that sin nature that says, oh, I'll just take today off. And then next Sunday comes around. Well, I'll just take another Sunday off. I'll get back to it. We all know what happens, don't we? We've been there. After about three Sunday, it's real easy to miss. Because it can become a burden because of that sin nature. So we, we by God's grace, God, I need to go today and I'm going to go because I love you. And not really particularly in the mood of it, but because your word says and I love you, I'm going to demonstrate my love, I'm going to go worship you today. And I'd be willing to say that every one of us who've come not really wanting to be here when we get here can all say when we leave, I am so glad I went today. Am I right on that? God will never let us down when we put him first. So we don't do it because we feel good, but he will make us feel good afterwards. He'll give us peace and maintain that peace. Malachi 3.8 they also complained. He also complained about something they weren't doing. Will a man rob God? Yet yeah, you've robbed me. Now what if God came in down there and told you that? You're robbing from me. I'd be willing to say most of us in this room would never think about robbing from anybody, much less God. In what way have we robbed you? It's a good thing they're asking that question. They would need to be asking those kind of questions. In tithes and offerings. 
you are cursed with a curse. That means you're cursed with a double curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now is this. You know what God's saying there? Try me. Test me. Prove your love for me and tithe and see what I won't do for you. That's his promise to you. And notice what he says. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there be not be room enough to receive it. Now, I know many tithe here. Tithing's good here. We praise the Lord for that. But can we be sinning in process of putting our tithe in our offering box? Absolutely we can. If we're doing that thing, we're going to be buying favors from God, it'll never happen. We give because we want to. I, I, there's a man, I, I know I shared it with you before, but in case you weren't here, I'm going to share it again. There's a man named, named, named uh, Mr. Laterno. He started a diesel business, and you know about him because you work for him in the long run. Caterpillar. He started that business. He said, God, if you will make this business prosper, I will live on 10% and I will give you 90%. And God has allowed him to do that. And he's got a Bible college for students. He's got camps. In fact, he's got a camp even for pastors to get away and spend some time. It's in New York State. My son's going there and he's invited us. We're going to spend that week with him. And Laterno's the one that sponsors that camp. I think it's going to cost us like 20 bucks for the week. God has blessed him abundantly. And Caterpillar is one of the number one business or diesel engines in, in the world. And Brandon here works for him. That's what he does is rebuild the, those things and work on them. That's what God wants us to do. He wants to do it because we love him, not because we're trying to earn favors with him. Because we can't earn any favors with God. It's an impossibility. And if we try it, God's not going to honor it. They consider it useless to serve God in verse 14 of the same chapter. And you have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? I thank God for everyone that serves God here. Ian, it, it, it's simple, but some of these guys this week took the time when they could get between the raindrops and they weed back this bank back here. Their motive behind that was because I want to serve God. Somebody has to do it. And God's given them the ability and the strength to do it, and it's service. And it's just as important as me standing here in this pulpit as your pastor. There are those that clean the church and, and do things that are behind the scenes that you never hear about. You know, this PowerPoint that we have all up here, that's behind-the-scenes stuff. But there's about four people that work on that before it actually gets up there. I do my best to get it so they can read it. Then I give it to my wife, and she does the hieroglyphics and straightens it out. And then she passes it on to Susan and my daughter, and, and all that goes up here. Now, Stephanie's going to be learning it as well. You need to be praying for Stephanie and Susan because they're, <laughs> they're going to help out with Sunday night stuff. But it's all behind-the-scenes stuff. Nobody hears about it. But do they care? I'm doing this because I'm able to do this and this is what I want to do for God. It's all important to God and he's looking at the heart as to why it's done. So whatever we're doing, and, and I know there's times when, even as a pastor, I feel I, I get whiny about what's going on. God, do I really have to go through all this? If I didn't love you, I wouldn't put this in front of you. But prove your love for me and do it the right way. And so we have to search the scriptures out and make sure that what we're doing is out of worship. One more in Mark chapter 7. Again, some Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. The scribes are the ones that wrote the scriptures and taught the scriptures. The Pharisees were the Jewish leaders that were to lead the people. And in verse 5 we read of chapter 7 of Mark. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Now, it's like any big deal to me. Any of you guys ever eat with dirty hands? <laughs> you know? I'm still here. You're still here. <laughs> 
You ladies probably never do. You're always probably going to wash your hands. Yeah, Jim says, yeah, my wife's that way. Wash your hands first, you know. So what are they complaining about here? The answer said, and well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, not the commandments of God. These Pharisees, in fact, it comes down to this. In Scripture for the Jews, there were 613 different commands in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus that they were to, to obey, to prove their love for Him, and to keep themselves within boundaries that would enhance their worship of God. But the Jews said, that's not enough. We've got to protect ourselves. So they come up with another 630 plus that put a fence around what God had done. The problem was, their rules had become more important than what God had established. They had set up another form of worship, which we see here, the commandments of men. So they had said, you can't eat food without washing your hands, or it's sin. Now, I think it's wise to wash your hands before you eat, but it's not in Scripture that says, thou shalt wash your hands, or I will condemn you to hell because you didn't wash your hands before you eat. It's not there. But they had made it that important that oh, you didn't wash your hands before you eat. You sinner, you're going to hell. What was more important to them? Their rules are God's. There was no worship. So the Pharisees established tradition which was more important than keeping God's commands. So we must develop convictions based on the truth and then live them. Now, what's this got to do with music? Music standards. There are some that believe that, well, there's two ways to look at music, moral or amoral. Let me explain. Moral means, music means there are biblical guidelines to be followed, even the use of music. And that's what we're developing here, is those biblical principles that should guide our use of music. But to those that believe it's immoral, which means they don't think it's important what the style of music is, as long as the matters are the words are biblically sound. Now that makes sense. But we would all agree that there's music out there that is very worldly and very ungodly. Now, can someone be blessed by that? I suppose they could. I am not one of them. <laughs> But I'm not in the shoes of some of those that are saved out of that culture. But I do believe it's important for us. And this is where I believe the church should come in. We'll talk about this more several times probably through this process. I wish there was a way to do a survey. Some of these big Christian groups out there that play the rock and roll style of music. I wonder how many of them are really well grounded in the doctrine of God's word. I wonder how many of them are being sent out by their local church. And I wonder how many of them were the pastor that sat down with their men and taught them doctrine so that their music, the words that they sing are doctrinally sound. I wonder how many of them has taught them the biblical principles that should establish the style of music. If I was a betting man, and I'm not, I'd be willing to bet the majority of those who are in those categories <laughs> probably never attend church, probably had never been taught any sound doctrine. And I have no doubt there are some that really believe they're doing the right thing and reaching people with the gospel with their music. But I'm not sure that is the best way to do that and to be curious to know just how much of that God really accepts. So what's our practical solution? We need to seek God's wisdom in our acts of worship, including our music. We need to ask, is this bringing the best glory I can to God and not myself? Does what I sing promote the truth and never water it down? Does it seek to express my praise of Him over myself? 
And am I avoiding looking and sounding like the world? That's what Satan wants us to do as Christians, even if it's not music. He wants us to crowd the world as close as we can. There is, a, there is meant by God to be a distinct difference. In fact, Israel was meant to be a distinct difference from all the other nations on the face of the earth. That's why God designed things the way they did. That's why God did the things the way he did. He was to, Israel is to be a light to the world that there is one true God. I just started reading uh, a commentary on Daniel that Brother Showers wrote. And uh, th that's exactly what Daniel was communicating to the Babylonians. Here they were captured and they were placed in the, in the Babylonian courts. And they were going to feed them their best food, which was offered to idols and probably had pork in it. They had a diet that the Jews were not supposed to participate in. And Daniel said to the king, can't do it. You can do what you want to me, but I can't do it. But, let me throw out an option. Feed his soup for 10 days. And see if we don't look better than the other guys here in 10 days. That's what they did. How was that? Because God wanted them to know that Daniel's God was the only God. Not just one of the many gods they had, but the only God. And I believe Nebuchadnezzar came to that point eventually. So there are at least five concepts that we need to avoid if our music is going to be pleasing to God. We need to avoid self-worship. It's all about me. Whether we sing it, whether we play it, whether we just, our selection of it, it's all about me. I want what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. We need to avoid unbiblical worship. It might look good, but is it pleasing to God? Is it what He has commanded us to do? We need to avoid indifferent or casual worship. So casual that we're not paying attention to the doctrine that we're singing. We're not paying attention to the style of music. It, it's look, sounding more like the world than it is bringing glory to God. Is it half-hearted worship? I'm really not into it. Or am I totally into worshiping God? He is the only thing this side of heaven worthy of our worship. Nothing else we worship here is going to last. But a worship of Him will last forever. Enjoy what God has given us here. But don't make that your object of worship. And the last one, legalistic or traditional worship. Now, I think we can make a distinction there in, in some cases with that. But we have a lot of legalistic worship today. But tradition is not bad, but it can be when it becomes the only thing and the most important thing. So these are some principles that we need to keep in mind as we worship God with music. And we'll see as we go here that God, God really intends for us to enjoy Him through music. It is from Him. And I trust at home that we're not just evaluating our music here at church, but what about your music at home? What are you filling your mind with? Especially our young people and our teenagers here. Uh, I trust that our teenagers here are very discerning about what they listen to. And it's not just rock and roll either. If you listen to the words of some country western songs, you can't listen to it either. It's all immoral about extra love affairs and, and that's not the kind of thing that God wants us to listen to. But there is a lot of music out there that we can listen to. It doesn't have to all be Christian. But there should be a choice in our own heart. I want to be focused on God. I want to see Him for who He is. And, and if music will help me do that, and it does for me, now the first thing I come into my office is, is I get some Christian music on. And it's not all Christian. My daughter knows my tastes and and uh, they get tired of it sometimes because I like it and that's all I play. But um, they know I like Yanni. And so I listen to him. And, and then some Kenny G. I enjoy listening to those things. But that's not my major diet. 
I want songs that are going to direct my attention to Him. And there's some that, unfortunately, when they get going, I can't study anymore because it just causes me to see Him, who He is. I just got to stop and thank Him for what He's done for me. I'm not worthy of His love. I'm not worthy of it at all. But I have an awesome God that loves me in spite of me. And I know my worship is not what it could be. And I'm constantly wanting to make it better. And I trust by the preaching of God's word, it's going to do the same thing for you. Where is my worship of God? And where does my music fit into that? Not only here as a church, but you as an individual. Because we have an awesome God that's worthy of our worship. And God has designed music to enhance that. And so we need to be using it in that way. And we all love it. The world loves it. You name one thing in this world, it's not promoted or pushed by music. It's just, music isn't everything. You know, there's even one dentist here in town that come to our, our, our office and we'll make you relax because we got the music, you know. I, I go to the dentist to relax. I don't. I don't care how good you are. You're not going to do that. <laughs> but that's what they're trying to promote. We got the atmosphere. And even stores would play music. And they know what to play to manipulate you to buy more. Do you realize that? In fact, they used to subliminally put messages in the music to promote buying. They found out it was going on. They've now made it illegal. Satan knows that music can be a, a harmful tool. And if we're not careful, it can harm us spiritually as well. Father, thank you for being the God that you are. You're an awesome God. And we just wish that our world would love you as well. But we know at some point in time in history that's going to happen. We long for that day. We're going to be part of that for a thousand years. Your son is going to rule and reign. And what an awesome time that's going to be for a whole thousand years. We long for that day. It can't come soon enough. But Father, help us to carefully look at the music that you have granted us and may it encourage us to love you and worship you more than anything this side of heaven because you're the only thing that's worth worshiping and it's in our savior's name we pray amen